Imagine living in a time where six men kill themselves every day. And if we thought that's gonna happen in a hundred years, it sounds pretty gross, but it's actually now. Uh, you know, originally fake news starts as a critique of news that's considered to be inaccurate. It's become a term that's used now to dismiss any news that you don't like. And around one in seven young Australians uh, has a mental health condition. They are our most unwell generation that we've had. People don't accept the climate science. So if I think about how we're going to save the world, art enables us to move in that direction. In the last episode, we heard about the dystopia we're in right now, but we shouldn't give up hope. We'll discover the programs designed to help men connect in positive ways. I am Rebecca Stewart and I am doing my PhD as part of the Behaviour Change Graduate Research Industry Partnership, which is a collaboration between Behaviour Works Australia um, as part of the Monash Sustainable Development Institute uh, in partnership with Victorian Health Promotion Foundation. And I am looking at what the key ingredients are to engaging men and boys in sustainable shifts in attitudes and behaviours around healthier versions of masculinity. I'm Brittany Ralph, I'm a doctoral researcher at Monash University and my research focuses on masculinity uh, and positive change, particularly with regards to men's friendships. I'm Steve Roberts, Associate Professor of Sociology at Monash University and my research area is masculinity and social change. Steve Roberts, Brittany Ralph, Rebecca Stewart, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hello. I want to start by asking about the research Rebecca has done and is doing on programs to help men and boys uh, have different attitudes or healthy attitudes towards masculinity. Give us some hope. What's working? Uh, there's plenty of hope out there, especially when you're talking to young people, I think. Um, uh, in terms of what's working there are a number of programs out there at the moment that specifically address masculinity and the stereotypes and norms that uh, are associated with those. Um, and whilst the evaluation is a little bit lacking at this point, we do have a lot of anecdotal evidence uh, or reports and I've been out there talking to a lot of the facilitators who do have a lot of hope with the people that they're speaking with. Uh, so it's looking at breaking down stereotypes around what is okay in terms of emotional expression. So uh, you don't just have to be mad, you can be sad. It's uh, things like respectful relationships. The Respectful Relationships Initiative is one that's um, being run in a number of primary and secondary schools across Australia. And one of the really positive things that I have um, learned about this curriculum is that they have this whole school approach. So in the research that I've been doing, uh, one of the key features that keeps coming out of the successful interventions working with stereotypes and norms is that um, when you are – education is one part of it, but you also need to be working at um, multiple levels of that sort of ecosystem that the person lives within. So it's not just individual schools, it's yeah, skills rather. It's not just teaching the, the boys and girls um, what – gender stereotypes are and how to counteract them uh, but it's also about educating and skilling up teachers so that they can have those conversations it's about um, engaging parents in those um, topics and developing their language around it um, and one of the things that I think is quite cool in that initiative in particular is that they do they send the kids home with homework um, to sort of discuss the issues that they've dealt with um, at school, which sort of forces that conversation to be happening outside of that sphere so that they can continue to, um, I guess, educate up but also have those meaningful engagements with their, the, 
the authoritative figures in their lives. Mm, which I think would probably make a big impact for, for boys and girls if mum and dad are saying, oh, yeah, I really think that too or that's interesting. That must have a really um, significant um, reinforcement. Absolutely. And a lot of the um, feedback and anecdotal evidence that I've um, had shared with me is that most of the time people sort of come back with, I've never had a chance to have a talk about that or think about it. Mm. So one of my key things, which is probably a bit cliche, is it's all about self-reflection and self-awareness. And we really have a lot of power over the environments that we and how we move through the world and the impact that we have. So I think programs like this that sort of challenge those traditional norms that might just be, I guess the thing about norms and stereotypes is that they're mental shortcuts. So until you actually call them out and ha- sit down and have a think about them, you just you just don't. Brittany, you've done research on men's friendships. I have. How have men's friendships in Australia changed over time? So the study that I'm doing for my PhD research talks to fathers and sons um, and a really interesting thing at at the most basic level we're finding that men are opening up more at least the men that I'm speaking to and a lot of men you find and that are being spoken to in the literature um, they're becoming more comfortable with talking about their emotions with their male friends and they're becoming more physically tactile um, which we know is an important way uh to access feelings of belonging and well-being. Um, a really interesting thing that was mentioned earlier was that, you know, we look at young men as this sort of beacon of change. And it's definitely true that a lot of the younger generations are more comfortable with being intimate uh, with their male friends. But what I'm finding with my research too is that the fathers that I speak to who are aged between about 50 and 70, they're also living in this cultural shift and they lived it 20 years ago as well and so they're also coming up against things in their lives um, deaths in the family illness uh, other forms of trauma and they're changing with with it so they've had this we've had this cultural shift and they've gone through something traumatic and and sort of gone and a, a direct quote from one of my participants is that you get to a point where you realize you can't do it on your own anymore And so it isn't just young men that are changing, it's also older generations. And they're bringing up boys, you know, as a result of their experiences in their 30s, they've been more intimate with their sons. They've been more open and and communicative and caring with their sons. And so for the sons, it's just natural. Of course, this is only going off uh, a a small sample of men that are willing to speak to me as a researcher. So this is not not, uh, definitely not across the board. What are you hoping will be the outcome of your research? How can we use what you found to, to make men's relationships, you know, tighter, more fulfilling? Yeah. I think what's coming out of my research, it's going to be a lot of theoretical stuff at the baseline. But I think beyond that, what's becoming evident to me is that most of this fear and mistrust that men feel um, about being vulnerable with other men, it isn't that it's not well-founded, it's that once that sort of initial barrier is broken between male friends, it's like the floodgates open. And their friends, uh, my, my communication would be that everyone is, is going through a very similar thing. A lot of men are going through a similar thing in terms of feeling trapped, in terms of feeling, you know, we're humans. We all go through, through tough times. It's just, it's once you get past that, that, that first hurdle and start talking about what's going on, you'll find that your friends all open up too. And they, they love you and they care about you and they want to be there for you. Um, 
so it's it's hard to talk about men's friendships and then discuss things like domestic violence because it definitely makes me feel like the work that I'm doing might not be as central to positive change but I think speaking about you know men's everyday lives it's it's helping hope hopefully helping them to realize that it's okay to open up to your friends I just want to um give Brit, uh, a bit of a thumbs up actually because oh, I think thanks. you're doing better work and more important work than you're stressing <laughs> like your work is really important and Imposter it's because syndrome. it demonstrates to me that we all have an obligation to highlight positive enactments of mm. masculinity and masculine change because otherwise we fall back on the boys will be boy stuff if we're saying that men you know men can't change they are what they are but actually your research is finding that older men are processing that change and mm. trying to change right so we're not saying that this is perfect we know we have a long way to go we know that violence is like really shocking for against men and women, but there's there's a possibility to be more than they were, and I think that's really really important to highlight what's possible. All right, big sky thinking, everybody. If you could change one thing about the way masculinity is done or understood in Australia, what would you do? We've got great people, great men uh, and great women out there doing amazing work in this space and breaking down um, rigid norms and stereotypes and, and, you know, it's often called the man box. So these rules that limit and restrict how men can engage with their peers, um, which back to Brit's research is really important because it's one of the key ways to break the um, abuse cycle is around environment and relationships Um, and I think agents of change um, are being developed everywhere and we all have responsibility to get out there so I think there's a lot of not all men um, but the reality is that all men will uh, experience or witness sexism or gender inequality or violence supportive jokes uh, and so I think my biggest change that I would love to see is is it's bystander stuff it's standing up and saying actually that doesn't sit well with me and I don't think you should say that or, or um, stop talking and let Susan finish her her thought or oh, actually that was Cindy's idea not yeah, yours exactly <laughs> so that is I think there's a real responsibility um for all men to step up um, and and women as well. I mean, it's it's hard. Bystander action is a big thing at the moment and it's hard to, to take that stand. But as Britt was talking about and my research has shown the same thing, as soon as somebody says something, you'll find five, of, five other people in the room that are um, thinking the same thing or feeling the same discomfort. Um, so it's about rallying and, yeah, speaking out. And that is how we change social norms, isn't it? We Communities, people, subtly and not so subtly are always letting each other know what is okay in our society and what's not. Mm -hmm. You know, if I suddenly spat on the floor, you'd probably all give me a dirty look or something (laughs) because in Australia that's not okay. In other cultures, spitting outside is fine. It's not a problem. But here that's not okay and we let each other know. So speaking up, here's, here's a challenging question that I ponder on this as a Muslim. After September 11... There was a huge focus on the Muslim community in countries like Australia, the US. You need to police yourselves. It's on you guys to stop this happening. Um, And a lot of Muslims really pushed back against that and said, we're not responsible for this. Don't make this our problem. And by even saying that, you're putting us all in the same boat. So on the one hand, I think about this issue with the way we men need to stop other men and police other men. I think about it as a Muslim 
and the experience I've had with that. But on the other hand, I do also know the significance of bystander intervention as well and the way we do change social norms and that we need to have male role models for men to look up to to go, that's not okay. It's a tension that I struggle with. Tell me why the Muslim community experience is not replicable here. I feel like it's not. I think the first thing that comes to my mind is, again, power. So this idea that as 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 the sort of top of the gender hierarchy, men are the ones that um, will determine what is considered masculine, right? So some theorists or some academics will say if a woman is um, disapproves a man's behaviour, it makes it makes it more masculine. So it doesn't actually it doesn't make him not want to do it. it makes him feel like he's doing the right thing. And so I think I, I totally agree, but. There is, to a certain extent, we have to understand that men are more likely to listen to other men. So in a situation when uh, someone's standing up, it isn't just because someone's calling it out, it's because another man's calling it out. And so they take that as a legitimate, uh, a legitimate comment on their behaviour. It also has to do with the rational, emotional binary because if a woman speaks up about something, it's probably going to be taken as hysterical, whereas if a man does it, it's considered and it's valid. You know, it's 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 more, it's got more valid, uh, validity to it. And men aren't a minority. Mm. And we live in a patriarchal society that is set up to support and um, carry some of these behaviours. So, I, I, I the same. It's I've not thought of it in that way because it's not my yeah. my world perspective, and it's really helpful to um, to get another lens to look through. Um, and I can see why that helps me to understand why the not all men thing is a yeah. thing. Yeah, I can say as a Muslim woman, I understand mm. the visceral resistance that some men have when they're like, stop blaming us. Mm. I can understand it because I felt it from another perspective. Um, I think what's missing from that conversation, or is at the edges of this conversation, like is about race and racism as well. And it's very easy for white people to like turn to ethnic minority groups and say, oh, you should be policing that behavior. But we don't see that with the Christchurch massacre. You know, we didn't see the white yeah. populations be like, oh yeah, the white population really have to have a good think about what's, what's, what is it that's unique about our culture that produces this behavior. And if I can actually, I think there's a common thread, which is not being a Muslim, right? The common thread is that terrorism is most often enacted by men and it has a relationship with masculinity. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's missing here, right? So we're not saying that all men because they may or may not engage in practices of masculinity, that they're going to be terrorists or they're going to be killers. But we do know there's a relationship between masculine ideals and power and violence. So I think the thread, like it's, a, it's completely misleading to point to a community and say, it must be something about your culture. It's patriarchal norms that run through all of these cultures that are the common thread. So I get it. I get, you know, and I'm actually often apologizing in the front of my book saying, I'm not saying hashtag not all men, but I am also pointing to this group of men who are doing some, some good and productive stuff. However, like we do have to recognize that, yeah, that masculinity is the thread or is a continuum. And some of those practices lead to even more negative practices across cultures. Mm. It's not unique to a culture. Yeah. These aren't little toddlers walking out one day and saying, I am going to be aggressive and abusive towards the woman in my life or the children in my life. It's a culmination of influences. So it's the patriarchal systems and institutions. It's the 
um, being told to stop crying at a young age and not show emotion in that way. It's being made fun of because you've got long hair and then, um, it, you know, maybe your voice doesn't break as soon as everyone else's. It's that sort of culmination and then getting into the workplace and uh, sexist jokes going around on the, the email, it's, you know, that's I guess the bystander stuff as well is acknowledging that all of this contributes to that final behaviour. So no, not all men, it is a minority that are enacting this um, violence but we're all supporting it and, and we're supporting the structures and the norms and the um, society and the culture that enables that to be the end outcome. What I would like to see change is shame. I think at the centre of a lot of issues for men is shame. And it was interesting, I was speaking to a student after our first and only in-person lecture on Monday who uh, she came and spoke to me and she said it wasn't until this year and starting to learn some of the stuff we're teaching in the Men and Masculinity course that she went, oh, my God, I, I would hate to be a man. It sounds like it would suck. Like I, she was saying, my whole life I've been able to go to my friend you know, express my feelings, talk about my problems. Um, but for them, there's so much shame. And and people in my life have gone through horrific things and they just can't talk about it because they don't want to appear weak or vulnerable. And I think shame is at the centre of things like the incel movement. So if, you, if masculinity says you need to be um, attractive to women and, and have a high level of virility or whatever it might be, have promiscuous sex, then and you can't have that, then you feel emasculated and you feel immense shame and it comes out in these really horrible ways and that, that can have knock-on effects, the worst, of course, being a mass shooting um, like what happened in America. Um, but even smaller issues, like I see... Uh, I work at a gym and I see men come in who are smaller physically and I'm thinking of one person in particular who's been coming in for the last few years and there's so much anger in him and I can feel it when he walks in and I just want to hug him and say like and he's gotten quite jacked in the last few years but you just feel you just know that he's gone through hell in high school because he's small I think back at my high school experience um, the shame was massive for men who were smaller if we can change the way we think of masculinity and, and not attach someone's worth to their ability to enact particular masculine attributes then maybe we won't have so many men that are hurting so much and taking it out on each other and on women and on themselves. I think that's such a good point because what I noticed when you were talking, when you were talking about the spectrum and where things start, all the examples you gave of what we do to little boys are humiliating things. Stop crying. Don't wear your hair like that. That's humiliating them. It sounds like humiliation of men mm -hmm. is having a, is actually the toxic ingredient. And I was trying to think as you were speaking – how are women humiliated for not living up to ideal femininity? I mean, maybe, you know, as women, we, oh, well, I'm not thin enough or not pretty enough, whatever. But I don't know if the level of humiliation is as toxic for us because we have more options now for mm -hmm. what it means to be a woman mm -hmm. in a way that men don't have for options of what it means to be a man. Exactly. And that's what we haven't gotten to yet as a society. We've done a lot of work with women and there's still work to be done. Um, but we haven't flipped it and looked at the, the yeah, the uh, stereotypes of men that are harming men, you know, Toxic femininity was the idea, that, the idea that women should be subservient and stay in the home. Like we're addressing that. Yeah. And um, we have to do the same for men. Well, building on what Brett was saying, I think it's the idea that one has to expel the feminine, right? So we have to, like the reason those boys are being humiliated in that sense is because other boys are saying you're too much like a woman. So it comes back to the gender binary and biology and all of these things that men have to be, um, have to act in particular ways, uh, boys and men, and girls and women have to be, distinct from that and, and separate so when you end up 
kind of veering into that lane just a little bit, you get called out for being too feminine. So it's this, the idea that men should be something is really problematic. So I think that's at, at the center of all of this, this binary needs to be uncoupled and we should all be free to do whatever we want and not find that the only way we can achieve status is by having power over others through acts of humiliation. Thank you so much to all of you for joining us today. Thank you you. for having us. Unfortunately, due to COVID, we've had to adapt and do a number of these interviews by phone. So while occasionally the audio isn't as great as always, we promise you the content is. Hi, my name's Dr. Sandro DeMeo. I'm a medical doctor and a public health uh, expert and advocate. Uh, I'm the CEO of Big Health or the Victorian Health Promotion Foundation. Um, and uh, I'm currently learning how to make sourdough. Sandro DeMeo, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Tell us about some of the research that Vic Health has done into masculinity. Yeah, so we've been um, running some, we've been leading some research in this with uh, a range of partners for a while. And it's really looking at the growing evidence that um, initiatives that promote healthier masculinity, uh, that is sort of question the norms, challenge the unhealthy norms often that come with uh, being a boy or a man or a guy um, and and the perceived expectations around what that means for your role in society and how you interact interact with others and um, and and you know across your life how how we can sort of use um, the evidence to i suppose have healthier masculinity and also the positive impact impacts that we know come with that firstly on women and girls um, health due to improved gender equality Uh, but also you know there's good evidence that actually by challenging um, existing norms around masculinity and helping young men and and boys to develop healthier um, you know healthier ways of of being and thinking and and acting and letting them go their own way um, improves their health and and well-being and that's what we're all about at Vic Health it's basically um, you know trying to make sure that every Victorian is able to lead a healthy life um, and that every Victorian man or boy is able to explore their own masculinity. And how responsive have you found men and boys to be to your initiative? Are they interested? Are they a bit uncertain? I think, look, I think it's a concept that is probably, um, you know, that, that is met initially with uncertainty. People sort of think, oh, what does this mean? Is it, you know, is it, is it, um, uh, is there something unhealthy about being masculine? You know, what's what's wrong with going to the gym and being in a football um, uh, team or the things that sort of you think you might think at first uh, are kind of typically blokey. But once you unpack that with them, I think they very quick, quickly realise that um, actually the, the way society pushes young men and boys uh, to act in certain ways, to react in certain ways and reinforces norms uh, again and again across their life course, both in terms of how they think about themselves, well, in terms of how they think about themselves, in terms of how they uh, re- react and interrelate with other men and boys, um, but also really importantly, how they uh, interrelate and react uh, to others, including women and girls in society. I think once you unpack that with them and really start to have a think uh, beyond the first reactions, uh, it resonates really strongly. And certainly, this is my my experience. Um, I, you know, I'm I wouldn't call myself a terribly masculine man. Um, I, 
you know, not, not in the traditional way. And I always thought that um, I was kind of different because of that. Um, you know, I, I always loved drama. I loved, um, sport, you know, I loved uh, music. I could never catch a ball to save myself. Um, I actively avoided, you know, football and instead would volunteer for the first aid to run the first aid program. I was, you know, leader of the environment club, not not a prefect or getting colours for sport at any point. Um, you know, and so I always kind of felt that, um, you know, there were certainly times in my life, in my uh, teenage years, where I thought maybe something was wrong with me, but mm. um, that uh, I didn't sort of fit in the typical... Uh, box that men and boys are told they need to fit into um, and it was probably a sense of um, you know it, it probably was a it brought a, a, a battering to my um, sense of worth at some points particularly my adolescent years and so I think this is actually something that many many men share and can relate to um, that there's been a certain experience or time in their life where they felt they don't um, stack up to what society expects them to be. Um, and and so the idea of challenging that and of actually saying, well, you know what, we're all different and it's healthy to be different and it's healthy to find your own version of masculinity. Um, and actually it could be healthy and not just for you, but also for those around you is really empowering. Mm. And what sort of, um, what, what findings have come out of the research so far of, of the project you've been running? Yeah, so I mean, I think the um, the major findings have really been um, that this is this is healthy and helpful, not just for um, you know issues of uh, gender equality, of equality between men and women, of respectful relationships, um, but also it's actually uh, good for the health of of men and boys. And I think that's something that often surprises people. We think of um, challenging unhealthy norms around masculinity as something that is sort of that men are doing to help others but actually uh, it's as much about improving the health of men and boys um, as it is about about you know ch challenging those kind of ideas of um, uh, that you know men need to kind of uh, you know be a real man or man up or all those sort of really unhealthy um, framings and phrases uh, that those those things don't just have a negative impact on um, on the relationships and um, uh, between men and women on the dynamics across society between uh, men and women, but also actually they have a negative impact on the health of men themselves. A world where um, we have you know there's good evidence that a world where um, you know men are constrained by the kind of uh, typical rules of masculinity is a world where they have poorer levels of mental health, men. They participate in more unhealthy behaviours like risky drinking. And in fact, um, a world where we have higher rates of suicide and car accidents young men, among men. We know at the same time, a world where there is greater gender equality and where more women are at the helm of, uh, you know, at the decision-making um, table and in, in the decision-making seat as a CEO or as a prime minister or as a minister or another leader in society, uh, that in fact you get better equity outcomes, you get better health outcomes across the population, not just in women, but in everyone. Uh, and I think that's a big part of the message that, that has been lost, that it's not a zero sum. It's not about someone giving up ground for someone else. It's actually by 
by creating a more equal and respectful world where individuals, regardless of their gender or how um, masculine they are, um, can find their own way and be celebrated for who they are and what they are, uh, we all win. All right, cast your mind into the future, look into your crystal ball, Sandro. If we don't change our ideas and the way we think about masculinity, what does the future look like? I'd like to see a world. I think we can achieve a world where um, everyone realises that, uh, you know, there is no single male path. There is no single form of masculinity. There's no right or wrong form of, of masculinity um, uh, that we we should be encouraging everyone to, um, you know, to be themselves, but also um, challenge the the kind of unhealthier behaviours that are often associated with, you know, with being a man or, or that we feel we have to, to sort of be to be manly. Um, and I think reminding everyone that in that world, if we are able to achieve uh, healthier masculine norms, it's not a zero sum. It's not going to um, mean a, a healthier world for men and a less healthy world for women or a healthier world for some men and not for others. Uh, it, it's actually going to be a, a healthier world for everyone, uh, a safer world um, for everyone. And, you know, I think just a, you know, a, a better future. Um, and, and I think particularly for, you know, my kids, my my, the, you know, I don't have kids at the moment, but um, the next generation, it'd be great if we can move past these outdated masculine norms um, so that a, a generation soon can grow up, um, you know, feeling comfortable and empowered in their own skin and that being a man doesn't require you to um, think or act in a way that actually comes with worse health outcomes for yourself probably also though for your your partner your family and possibly the rest of society thank you so much for your time today sandro you're so welcome back with one last episode on this topic looking at tips and ideas for cultivating positive aspects of masculinity and effectively tackling the negative ones thanks to all our guests today that's it for this episode more information on what we discussed today can be found in the show notes